Welcome in the somewhat mobile. When we drop data, it's not anecdotal. Talking the latest mobile trends with highlighting the surges and descends. Yeah, this is an original series from Aptopia. The intelligence provider here to help focus you. I'm growing your mobile app and putting you on the map. So when people pull out their phone, it's the first thing they want to tell. So crack yourself a beer and give a listen here because the best podcast and mobile just landed in your ear. Welcome into another episode of Somewhat Mobile, the show mobile app teams listen to when they need to hear someone else's voice besides their managers. Today, joining me is Rockford Yap, the VP of Acquisition at Public.com. Rockford, who are your least favorite work colleagues? And don't be afraid to name names. Oh my God. All right. Well, I got to tell you, it's probably... Hmm. It's got to be all of the dogs that are now allowed in our office since we changed our work from <laughs> work from home policy to allow dogs. They're just not good at collaboration, I'm are they? I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. We love the dogs, but there are no there are no favorites at this company. I love everyone equally. <laughs> Amazing. How how does how do the dogs work? Do they like have free reign, and it's up to you to like kind of deal with them? <laughs> Most dogs really like to just like stay by stay by their owners. So I mean, like it's honestly, it's really nice to have that energy around. But you, most of the dogs that are here are pretty chill. Obviously, if you don't have a chill dog, you're probably not going to be interested in bringing it to work. So <laughs> right. fortunately, all of the dogs we have at public are really wonderful. Perfect. Okay, so want to hear a little bit about yourself, how you got to public. Tell us what public is, by the way, and and what you do there as well. Yeah. So um, Public is the investing app where you can invest in everything. So we're a platform where you can invest in stocks, crypto, ETF, alternative assets like fine art, wine, real estate, music rights, and so on. So uh, we're really building a platform that kind of helps our users be better investors by helping inform them about the uh, about public markets and give them the context they need to really make you know, smart investment decisions. What about yourself? Uh, how'd you get there? And what do you do? Yeah, so I am the VP of acquisition at Public. So in the marketing org alongside the the brand team. So basically my responsibilities kind of span across like paid user acquisition on, you know, your Facebooks and Googles and whatnot, uh, growth partnerships with influencers, uh, affiliates, content publishers, stuff like that, lifecycle marketing. So all of our email push notification strategy, as well as SEO and our uh, community team, which is kind of like the social layer within the public app. So how did I get here, though? Uh, so my background is really in like paid user acquisition. Prior to public, I was at a mobile games publisher here in New York called Tilting Point, where we published a portfolio of some 25 games from ranging from hyper casual to, you know, hardcore multiplayer and really kind of cut my teeth there on like the paid social game. Uh, prior to that was at a little agency in Colorado called Ad Action Interactive, where we mostly focused on uh, like affiliate and partnership marketing. And yeah, fortunately, like all of those different channels and everything kind of rolled into exactly what we needed at Public. So when this opportunity came around, it was just like, it was it was a great fit for me. It was exactly what I enjoy doing and like to do with uh, growth strategy and stuff. So here we are and the rest is history. And how do you invest in wine? Like when they send it to you, do they know if I drank it or not? <laughs> we're not quite there just yet. So with our alternatives assets platform, we're really investigating like, you know, what are the asset classes that people are going to be most interested in? So as of right now, I don't think we have any wine portfolios live in the app in this current moment, but it is definitely on the uh, alternative teams roadmap. Okay. Gonna need a strong push notification when that goes live. I gotta see what that's about. <laughs> you got it. 
Okay, so given that, like, a big reason why I wanted to have you on is because I think investing apps are in an interesting point in time, given the economy, right? There's inflation, there's rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. Um, Stocks are obviously on the decline, what what most people are investing in. So I wanted to ask you, um, because fintech is such such a large and growing section of the apps that we look at, that I want to understand right now, like, what are the challenges that are being presented to you from a user acquisition and engagement perspective? Um, you know, are your goals changing? Do you have to have different strategies, different copy? Just like walk me through what you're experiencing and doing right now. Yeah, so it is definitely a tougher time to be a fintech app <laughs> this time of year than it was last year. So the, the the biggest sort of change, honestly, is just like the mindset shift of the uh, of the audiences that we're trying to go after. Like in 2021, you know, like people were just having insane amounts of FOMO when it came to public markets, right? Like every time you turn on the TV, you know, markets are green up and to the right. And it doesn't matter if you were watching like CNBC or going on Reddit or whatever. It was like everybody was talking about investing. And then come 2022, you know, and things start to, you know, decline a little bit. Like, and you you really can't turn around nowadays without just getting a healthy dose of gloom and doom. <laughs> um, and it's definitely presented headwinds to our business and, you know, the fintech space in general. But, you know, it's really kind of offered us an opportunity to just sort of like change our strategies a little bit. Like you said, it's just like, you know, do we have to think about copy and goals and all of that sort of stuff? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, whereas in 2021, everything was all about just like user growth, straight user acquisition, just get more users right. on the platform. And now we're much more conscious about like the audiences that we're targeting and the quality of user that we optimize for and all that sort of stuff. You know, that's not to say that we weren't before, but now it's just become much more important because not everybody has disposable income to invest, you know? So a lot of our strategy has really kind of changed towards, you know, the type of person and type of professional that is still going to be investing in the markets. And, uh, you know, that, that changes, you know, the kind of words that we use, the kind of partnerships that we cultivate, the sort of images we use in our creative. So yeah, it, it changes a lot, but at the end of the day, it's really just, um, it's really just making sure that we are highlighting the benefits that we bring to investors in this current market moment. And that's, you know, really what it's been all about. And for these, like, you know, I, I think you are probably already somewhat marketing to these people, but you have a you you have a renewed focus on them. Did you kind of already know what attracts that crowd or did you have to like go into new market research to figure out how do we target these users more now that we're much more interested in them? Uh, I mean, like it was really more like we knew who those users were and like where they spent their time and stuff. It was really just a matter of just like allocation. Right. You know, so instead of saying, you know, like we're just going to do like broad based acquisition campaigns and then like optimize that on the back end. It's it's really more about, you know, like making sure that we're meeting that audience where they are, like especially with like the difficulties of like ATT and stuff making, you know, like user level targeting a lot harder for sure. Uh, you do have to be sensitive about like where these people spend their time, what content they consume, and make sure that you're getting in front of them there instead of just relying on, say, you know, Facebook lookalike audiences to just like serve, you know, the perfect Instagram ad at the perfect moment in time. You know, so that that's kind of been the biggest shift, honestly. And that was going to be my next question with AT and T. Like, what's been the biggest shift for you in in how you just go about? your your daily job um with with the privacy changes and like are you spending more time testing than you used to or did you just 
you kind of like know who these users are and so you know how to get to them contextually or what's been the biggest change? Yeah, so the the biggest change has really been a lot of like the contextual stuff that I was just talking about. It's like making sure that we are, you know, running like content partnerships with uh with the right websites and like partners, uh making right. sure that we're partnering with the right influencers and stuff like that. But on like, you know, uh, you know, like on like the social side and the search side and stuff like that, it really kind of has changed our like device mix, right? You know, so uh, the amount of like paid users that we're acquiring on iOS has gone down, uh, you know, and like Android as a share of acquisition has gone up, but it's also kind of like forced us down this path of acquiring users on desktop, which, you know, desktop, uh, you know, public was a mobile first company, right? So yeah. uh, we only launched our desktop product properly at like the beginning of this year. So, um, so it's been really, really interesting you know, just kind of like seeing how users behave differently on desktop versus an app with all of the new screen real estate and like, you know, what they spend their time doing on the platform and stuff like that. So, but it's also forced us to just get a little bit more creative about how we optimize post install, right? Like, you know, in a post ATT world, you could really rely on the fact that like your user targeting was going to get you the kind of behavior post install that you wanted and now you have to do a lot more sort of like proactive cross-selling with lifecycle messaging like push notifications and uh email and, and just segmenting users out that way to make sure that you're really you know connecting them to the value that they're looking for in your app okay i had a question that i can no longer remember so if i think of it i'll come back to it so public acquired a company called hypercharts earlier this year and i wanted to just know what was that acquisition about and our all right. Oh, I did remember my question. We're going to get back to hypercharts. Okay. <laughs> for the people, for the people you're acquiring on desktop, uh, mm -hmm. are you viewing them as like this separate, I guess in some respects you would be right. I was going to say a separate cohort, but you're, you've acquired them on desktop. At what point do you push them to the mobile app? Uh, if at all, I'm assuming you are. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so we do have like, you know, like banners on the web app and everything to, you know, just remind people to download the app or that we have a mobile app so that, uh, they know that we're like a cross-platform business and everything, but it's it's just interesting. Like the the makeup of people that are like primarily desktop users tend to skew older. Makes sense, right? Tend to you know spend a little less time in like the community portion of the app. Also makes okay. sense. And you're saying uh, older people don't like community. <laughs> older people don't like digital communities media as much as say like you know the younger cohorts that are you know like grew up in it so to speak sure, so sure. but yeah it is just a little bit different just seeing how people use the product differently and like what parts of the product they leverage more right okay all right so for hypercharts you guys acquired it it was earlier this year why and then also is it like are you already leveraging it i know sometimes when companies acquire it can be like a lengthy process to really get everything aligned and, and moving. Yeah. Yeah. And it has been a lengthy process. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we acquired Hypercharts earlier this year, and this was really a move to help give our users more context around their portfolio, right? So Hypercharts was a company that uh, helped people understand public companies beyond what you would read in like a financial statement. So, and they do that by leveraging, you know, company specific metrics. I think things like how many cars did Tesla deliver last quarter? And like what percentage of their revenue was made up by like solar sales versus automobile sales and stuff like that? Or like, you know, what was the average, you know, daily rides with Uber or something like that, right? So 
um, they had this beautiful website that that really kind of visualized all of these company specific metrics in a way that helped people understand the companies behind the ticker. Right? It's like you know you can you can make a lot of really strong decisions based off of things like EBITDA and, you know, like cash on the balance sheet and all that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you got to, you got to really understand like how the business works. Right. And that's what Hypercharts does. So ultimately Hypercharts became the foundation of what has become public premium, which is our paid subscription service. Uh, and it's basically all of like the unique company data that Hypercharts was uh, visualizing and collecting and everything. Uh, and, you know, we've just packaged it in as part of the uh, public premium product to help give our users the tools and context that they would like to have around the companies that they already own. And are you guys also, in, in addition to the charts, are you producing, I don't know, various types of content that are being pushed out through the app? Like, uh, you know, I don't know what people write in investing apps, but top five stocks in the food industry or, or strategies for 2023? Like, is that stuff that you're producing and people are consuming within the app? Yeah, that's not something that is really related to hypercharts, but that's something that is really kind of okay. carried by our community team, right? So um, a lot of our community members are really, really uh, active in the app and will give insights like that, like summarized insights of like what happened in the markets this week, or here's everything that you missed from Netflix last earning call or, you know, whatever. So a lot of that stuff is, uh, you know, present in the app, but not necessarily like behind a paywall. Like a lot of this content is stuff that uh, the community is really just kind of offering up to, you know, the user base to help them understand their thesis behind, you know, a certain investment or whatever it may be. So yeah, all, all that stuff is there and varying degrees of detail, but, um, but yeah, definitely. I would imagine the, the users that you're targeting now are probably the ones that are more likely, I have no idea by the way, obviously, but are probably the ones more likely to get value from hypercharts, right? Just because it's times are tough and you, you know, we argue at least on our side of things, you really need data to make more efficient decisions. And that sounds like something that the people you're targeting now would be all about. So it might be a timely acquisition. 100%. And it's like, it's not it's not just about like the company specific metrics, like public premium also gives you, uh, you know, like real time price alerts based on uh, parameters that you can set yourself. It gives you access to, you know, uh, pre-market and after hours trading uh, and, and a whole litany of other things. So it's it's definitely a powerful tool, but like the context around your portfolio is definitely something that a more sophisticated investor would benefit from for sure. What, what's, uh, what do you think the stickiest feature of your app is? And um, is it something that you've like noticed and are like specifically pointing users in that direction because you know if they are using this, then they are like 2x more likely to do Y or something like that? Yeah, that's a... That's an interesting question because it really depends on like the type of user, right? So it depends like if you're really into say like crypto, you might want to enable like recurring Bitcoin trades or, you know, you might want to uh, set up custom price alerts within the app to know like when is the right time to buy this stock or that stock, right? But kind of like the one that I think is particularly sticky is the community we've talked about a little bit already, which is uh, basically a social feed within the app that, you know, allows our user base to interact with each other if they want. But, you know, like when I first joined public, it was a really great way to just like discover stocks that I'd never heard of before mm -hmm. uh, that seemed, you know, and like people explaining like why they love this company, whether it's like a, you know, really strong management team or, uh, you know, is 
got like a lot of opportunity over the next couple of months to capitalize on or whatever. But like, it wasn't just that it was, you know, like market news and this and that and whatever that was just kind of like curated for you by, you know, people that have similar investing goals to yourself. So uh, there are obviously people on public that don't participate in the community at all. There's a, there's a large cohort of people that don't and that's fine, but it does strike me that the people that are active in the community are particularly sticky uh, and that can yeah. be for a number of reason, reasons like, you know, if if a, uh, you know, creator in the app, you know, that you follow or engage with a lot, post something new, you might get a push notification that they just made a new post. Or if somebody replies to, uh, you know, a comment that you made in the app, you know, you get a push notification there, too, that'll draw you back in. So I think it's a it's a cool, sticky feature of the app. But again, it's not for everyone. And we're trying to build tools that work for, uh, you know, for every different type of investor out there. Yeah, content seems to be a big driver um, of engagement. I was speaking with Money Lion uh, earlier, and it was a, a similar um, similar sentiment from them that they I can't remember now. Hopefully, she's not listening to this and doesn't hate me. But <laughs> yeah, they they have a a content feed that they said is is very sticky, and people who engage with that uh, tend to tend to come back more than than those who don't. So, is the is the community feed that you're talking about? Is that um, I, I noticed public has a public feed of what investors are investing in. Is that what you're referring to when you say community feed? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, okay. like, you know, th that, you know, posting your trades and stuff is something that's like optional. Like, like nowadays it's sure. really about people, you know, like, uh, like just talking about like, you know, their investment thesis in a certain stock or, you know, talking about markets and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's one in the same for sure. Okay. So we, we basically covered off on that then, but I took a look at it, uh, online a few days ago and it was pretty interesting to, to see, you know, if I like to follow Barry, for example, uh, I can see his picks and and how those are trending. And maybe that's how I choose, like, which um, at that point, they almost become like an influencer that I'm following. It's almost like your your platform is breeding their own influencers. And it, it kind of, this part doesn't, the influencer part doesn't remind me of, but it at first reminded me of Venmo in that that's what kind of helped Venmo blow up mm -hmm. was that it was the first time like a, a social aspect had been brought into that I'm aware of, at least had been brought into a finance product and it worked. People mm -hmm. were like, you know, every now and then I'll go in my Venmo app, for example, and I'll just see some random transaction from my friend and someone I don't know, by the way. And I'll just give it a like, just because I think it's hilarious that I'm like, have anything to do with that, like transaction that they had for ice cream or beer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know? Okay. So I obviously work for Aptopia, or maybe it's not that obvious. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> we are, we're competitive intelligence. So we're always curious, like Rockford, how do you keep an eye on the competition, your competitors, and how does it impact any decisions that you make? Yeah. So, I mean, like, obviously, you know, we keep a pretty close eye on all of our competitors just to kind of like know what they're getting up to and everything. But I mean, like at, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it doesn't really impact our decision-making process, right? Like, you know, we've got a really smart team of people here that are building a roadmap and, uh, you know, prioritizing the work that we do and the campaigns that we run and what products we're pushing and all that sort of stuff. So I wouldn't say that it really impacts our decisions really, but I mean, like, it is good to know, like, you know, what style of creative is so-and-so employing on Facebook or, you know, like what partnerships is this, new crypto exchange striking up on right. YouTube or whatever, right? So um, those sort of things are good to just kind of like understand the competitive landscape of like different media buying opportunities and stuff. But I wouldn't really say that it impacts our 
decisions when it comes to either campaigns or product strategy or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Cre- when I ask this question, creatives is like the number one thing that comes up that people like mm-hmm. to keep an eye on specifically. I mean, that sort of stuff is obviously fascinating because it's uh, so subjective and like, you know, if somebody is, you know, really going hard on a specific sort of creative theme, there must be something to it. You know, do we maybe want to test a similar theme or something? Sure. Yeah. That might go into our testing queue or something. And then the, uh, you know, the other, I guess, piece of intelligence that we keep a really close eye on is just like uh, keywords, right? You know, like understanding, you know, what keywords are our competitors bidding on, like who's bidding on public's brand terms and stuff uh, is usually pretty indicative of like, you know, what is really driving their business and stuff. So, yeah. Has your, has the budget that you um, dedicate to uh, paid keywords, has that risen at all within the last 12 months? Uh, it was specifically on iOS for sure. Okay, um, right. You know, because of it, like Apple search ads are like the one channel that were largely unaffected by ATT or not like, right. you know, really, really kneecapped by ATT. But, um, but yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, especially with the rise of, uh, our investment in, you know, de- desktop acquisition, you know, like Google search, paid search is a big part of that too. So, for sure. uh, so yeah, it's, it's gone up definitely, but you know, there's, that is, like, you can go so deep on, on search. It's like, it's, you know, we could have an it, entire, it's becoming much more of a, catch. of a factor. I think it yeah. like, like it is on web, like it's, it's almost everything on web. And, mm-hmm. um, that seems to be potentially the direction we're headed on, on mobile as well with store searches. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at least on iOS, I, I would agree to that. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So um, two, two part question to end before we get into our game. You know, what do you think has um, changed about how companies are approaching uh, marketing their mobile apps over the past few years? Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about privacy changes and that impacting marketing. You know, if there's anything else interesting um, that you've noticed and then kind of that's looking like back a little looking forward what do you think is is coming for either uh fintech or public specifically so i'm i'm sorry you were breaking up a little bit in the first part of your question oh my bad so, can you hear me now yeah, yeah yeah i got you now okay um so just wanted to know what in the past past few years 5 years maybe you've mm-hmm. like seen um what big changes you've seen as it pertains to marketing mobile apps from companies whether they're mobile first or not Mm-hmm. Um, and then looking forward, where do you see either fintech or public going? You can kind of choose your poison there. Sure. So looking back five years is a very long time. The game has changed so many times since between now and five years ago. But again, you know, that's one of the reasons that I like working in, you know, growth on mobile is that it yeah. keeps it fresh. It changes every year or two. It's a new problem to figure out and, uh, and, and solve for whether it's, you know, like whether it's ATT and, you know, user user-based targeting or it's, you know, the rise of influencer marketing on TikTok or whatever. I, I think like what's really changed most though is that like on the whole, this isn't really fintech specific necessarily, but I think like on the whole, people have just become a lot more cognizant of, you know, your LTVs and CAC and like quantifying the quality of, you know, your your marketing programs. Right. So uh, and that's becoming like ever more important now, given the current state of, you know, the tech, uh, the tech market. Right. But um, but I think, you know, it's a lot less common nowadays to see people just deploy enormous budgets in fintech, um, you know, without any sort of like KPIs to track, you know, beyond clicks or whatever. Right. It's like people are very, very uh 
more in tune with uh you know like how their users monetize over time uh what conversion funnels look like and all that sort of stuff i think that's probably the biggest change if we're looking back five years looking forward i think you know like the landscape is going to continue to change you know with uh just in terms of like you know what are the go-to channels i mean like we already see it change with you know like how how uh, marketing dollars are spent against like Facebook and Google and like the rise of TikTok and all of that sort of stuff. So that shift is going to continue. But I think, uh, you know, like going back to a lot of these sort of like contextually based uh, marketing programs is going to just be on the rise again, even more, whether it's influencers, whether it's content marketing, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be. Right. So, um, but, you know, change is the name of the game. It's, it is going to change. If I knew exactly where it was going, uh, I'd probably be retired by now. So. Maybe you'd be writing prediction pieces like everyone else. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, my my favorite time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, are you ready to play uh, two apps and a lie? Two apps and a lie. All right. Tell me the rules. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. All right. I am. It's very simple. I am going to read you three apps. Uh, their names and their descriptions. Two of them are real apps. They're live in the app store. You can download them right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And then one of them I've completely made up. And so at the end, we're just going to see if you can spot the fake one. Okay, let's go. Okay. All right. The first app is called iBeer. Drink beer on your phone. Downloaded over 90 million times, this hilarious visual trick behaves like a real glass of beer. Connect with friends or strangers for drink sharing, live voice chat, and photo sharing. Tilt to drink, shake for foam, even pour iBeer into other phones that have the app. Get four different types of beer, steaming hot coffee and mouthwash, milk, soda, wine, water, champagne, vodka, all sold separately. All right. The next app is called Into Club. You had the time of your life last night, but your friends saw those social posts and woke up to find them mad at you. And you woke up to find them mad at you for not telling them you were going out. You didn't plan on it, but one thing led to another and you were getting down on the dance floor. With Into Club, we've geofenced more than 20,000 nightclubs across the continental United States. So when you go into the club, a notification gets sent out of the club to your closest friends. If your closest friends also have the app, a notification will be sent to you when any of them arrive at your nightclub. Once the night is done, you can let your friends uh, know you've left and even order um, a lift and or late night meal from within the app. Shed the responsibility of remembering your friends and that they want you to text them with Into Club. (laughs) And the last app is called Hold On. Hold On is a test of patience. The aim is to keep your finger on the display as long as possible and not let it go in order to collect points. Push the high score uh, to exorbitant heights. It's an easy but funny game. Show to your friends that you have the most staying power and post your high scores on Facebook and Twitter. Download today. So Rockford, is the fake app A, iBeer, B, Into Club, or C, hold on. So iBeer is like an iPhone OG that is definitely real. I remember <laughs> having that app on my phone in my oh, very Oh, no. It was hilarious at the time. I can't believe I can't believe that was an app or what passed for an app back then. Hold on. That like conceptually sounds just like that Mr. Beast game from like several years ago. So I feel like I, that I know what you're talking about, yeah. to be real. It's got to be real. I think Into Club is the fake one, mostly because I feel like just from a technical standpoint, that would be just impossible to pull off. But I think it's I think Into Club is our fake. Ding, ding, ding. You you are correct, <laughs> sir. Congrats. All right. Um, do you, you know what the craziest thing is? I think you're only the second 
maybe only the second, either the second or third person who's actually gotten these right. Yeah. Um, they, they were honestly meant to be easy and then it just, it just kept going and, and I kept stumping people. And so now it's, uh, it's the only thing that brings me joy, but, awesome. well, uh, you've, you've robbed me of that joy today, but that's okay. Hmm. <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. Really interesting to hear from, um, just people in the FinTech space, uh, with where we are. I wasn't sure if people would be like afraid to come on because people don't always want to like talk about like, you know, change or difficult times. So really appreciate it. And, uh, I, I think the, the listeners will find value in it. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it's been a blast. This is it. What? Lucini pouring from the sky. Let's get rich. What? The GK Vance and Sugar Dimes can't quit. What? Now pop the caucus in the Vega and get lit. What? 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 Introducing Phantom of the Dark Walk through my heaven with levitation from reefers drenching deep as an H7 show bolting with rugas, flash vines, Belafonte digger. Let's get forward this verb as we confiscate your figures. Yes, and over brown, levitating G.